Welcome to the One City Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. Of the privilege that God has given us, in Memphis, there are the greater Memphis area, kind of the metro area, approximately 1.3 million people. And the odds have always throughout history been stacked against the church. The church was never the betting favorite, okay? The church was never, you know, the powerhouse that is starting with, you know, a 21-point lead. And I want to give you a new vision as to who you are and what you're supposed to do. There were 120 people 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus that were in an upper room and the Spirit of God fell upon them. And as a result of the Spirit of God falling upon 120 people, the history of the world changed. Rome was overthrown. Darkness began to flee because of the light. Right now, on a Sunday morning in Memphis... If there's 1.3 million people, that means there's approximately 1.1 million people sitting at home, not in church today. And here's our job. Our job is to host a wedding that is so glorious where we pick the best venue possible we get people who have interior decorating skills to make this place incredibly attractive. We put great attention to detail into every decision. The music, the beauty of the bride, the dress, Someone does her hair, does her makeup. And everyone's in this place. And the chimes begin to ring. (laughs) And everyone stands up and they wait for the doors to open. And the most stunning, gorgeous, beautiful, bride that you've ever seen walks through the doors and every person gets to say that's my bride that is what Jesus does is he captures your heart a professor didn't walk down the aisle Okay, 
And even in this way, honestly, though he is a king, he didn't walk down the aisle initially as a king. And so what I'm daring to believe is that God can light a fire in you in such a way that that fire can grow and become so contagious that instead of all of us, and listen, I am included in this, it's easy to just worry about the darkness and how strong the darkness is. But the darkness is defeated. We have to remember who out there in the world is telling you the darkness is defeated. And so what we've got to remember is that actually when you are light, it is easy for the light to make the darkness flee. It is not difficult for the light to be the light and it's not difficult for the light to chase out the darkness. Now, to say that in a slightly different way, there's a gentleman named Viktor Frankl. Some of you have read about him. He was a Jewish psychiatrist that was in the concentration camps during the Holocaust. He survived, but he survived for a couple of reasons. He's authored many books, but listen to the title of these three books, The Will to Meaning. The Will, like what is your will going to do to find meaning in life? The unheard cry, the unheard cry for meaning. Can you imagine how hard it would be to find meaning when you're in concentration camps with other Jews waiting to be gassed? where six million Jews lose their life, where 17 million people is estimated through the whole crisis lost their life. The third book is called Yes to Life. How, how does someone who's lived through a concentration camp says yes to life, watch this, the subtitle is in spite of everything. Wow. Yes to life in spite of everything. See, he survived the Holocaust and the reason he survived from his perspective, from his writings, is that he maintained a sense of purpose for himself. Now watch this. He saw a future beyond the Holocaust. He saw a future behind the worst circumstances in history. He saw a future when there was no future. So without having a future, Frankel's torture and the torture of others, the suffering in the concentration camps would have had no meaning. Now watch this. Without meaning, it would have been unbearable. Hence, 
Frankel discerned that when people lost a sense of hope in their future, they quickly decayed and died in such circumstances. He actually says they died before they died. See, the enemy is always trying to destroy your sense of purpose and hope. See, when when the scripture says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, there's nothing more dangerous in life than hopelessness. But our hope is also attached to our purpose. So listen to this. He who has a why, a why behind the what? Why are you living? What is your purpose? He who has a why to live for, a why to live for, can bear almost any how. Now, this might be even more important. The bigger your future, the better your present. All right, now, when you think about your future, some people might think, well, you know, that's coming from someone that your giftingness is kind of visionary and to think big and things like that. No, 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 no. Let me say it another way. If, if, if the word bigger kind of doesn't resonate with you, the brighter your future, the better your present. You have to have God's picture of the future in order to create what God wants in the present. And once you have God's picture of the future, you choose to live for him in the present. And when you live for him in the present, you create the future he desires. If you don't have a future you're actively striving for, then you can't actively convert your experience into learning. Let me say that again. If you don't have a future that you're actively striving for, then you can't actively convert your experience into learning. See, instead of just repeating your experience over and over, what you'll do is if you don't have a better picture of the future, life will become routine and you'll make a choice to choose comfort over courage. And you'll settle for a comfortable life instead of a life of purpose. You'll settle for a life that is less than God intended. Why? Why will you do that? Because you're not pursuing anything of great value. Now, let me tell you something right now. What I'm about to say, this is the secret. It's the key. For people in the business world, this is your KPI. This is your key performance indicator, okay? (laughs) You aren't pursuing anything of greater value. See, I just changed it from great value to greater value, all right? You aren't pursuing a stronger desire. The only way, watch this, to have a powerful present is to have a powerful picture of the future. Come on, push rewind. I didn't get that the first time, Chris. On my podcast, it says I can go back 15 seconds or 30 seconds. 
I need to go back 15 seconds. The only way to have a powerful present is to have a powerful picture of the future. Wow, does that fit Memphis, Tennessee right now? Our hearts break. Yes, we always need to do what we can to bring change through education. Yes, we always need to do what we can to bring change through reform and policy and law and things of that nature. Yes, but you're never going to change sin apart from the heart. If 1.1 million people are sitting at home this morning, not having purpose, not having hope, who's going to wake up and give it to them? It is our privilege and our opportunity as the people of God to be the people of hope. Please allow God to define your preferred future. See, vision is a clear mental picture. And I've said it this way before, but I'm going to make an adjustment. Vision is a clear mental picture of one's preferred future. But let me change one word. Vision is a clear mental picture of God's preferred future for one. What is God's preferred future? Oh, wait a second. Did he forget to give you a purpose? You, You just, you were left out of that assembly line? Oh, did he forget to give you a place on the team? Look at it this way. Here's God's way and the enemy's way. God's way is this, pursue your purpose and you'll discover pleasure. Here's the enemy's way, pursue your pleasure and you'll ruin your purpose. Those who are hedonistic, just pleasure seekers will eventually get to the place that the pleasure is no longer pleasurable and they numb themselves out. Because see, we were never told to seek pleasure for pleasure's sake. We were told to seek him. And when we seek him, he adds all things unto us. He is a God who created pleasure, but it comes in the right sequence in order of events. And it's meant to bless us, not destroy us. See, your current life is limited. You know what it's limited by? Your lack of purpose. Your current life is also limited by your lack of understanding value. What is the value of God's kingdom? What is the value of God's love? What is the value of being God's son or daughter? What is the value of being God's family? What is the value of being on mission with God? What is truly valuable from God's perspective? Watch this, a lack of desire reveals a lack of understanding value. I've said this to you before, I'm gonna say it to you again. We beat ourselves up, we shame ourselves, we feel guilty and overly responsible for not being as disciplined as we should. I just need to discipline myself better. 
You need to increase your desires and your discipline will follow. If you have a discipline problem, you probably have a desire problem because where we have the strongest desires, we typically have the strongest discipline. So what is the value of, watch this, knowing and being known by God? Like literally knowing and being known by Jesus. What is the true value of life and life more abundant? What is the true value of living on mission? If we're not careful, one of the things that will happen with the younger generation is we'll talk so much about worship and so much about intimacy that we'll forget to live on mission. We have to understand that the more the value increases, the more your desires increase. So you go, all right, Chris, prove it. Show me that scripturally. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like, so he's about to tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like treasure. Woo. Don't we all want treasure? He used that word intentionally. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. They didn't have banks back then. You know, they didn't have the vault. You had a treasure. You went and hid that sucker where no one else would find it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. It's my treasure. Then in his joy, notice what drives him to decision. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We're going to come back to the second part of the verse. He says basically the same thing in verse 45, just gives a different picture of a treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl, watch this, of great value, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So these parables deal with objects of great value, sparking great commitment. Little value equals little commitment. The problem with the church today is we've lost our identity. We are sons and daughters of the king. The problem with the church today is that we have forgotten that we are called of God to usher in a new kingdom. Every kingdom has a king. Every king comes to establish his rule and reign. The king of our kingdom has come to establish his rule and reign in our hearts. And once it's established in our hearts, it'll be established through us. But he rules in a different way. He rules by love, not force. Amen. Little value equals little commitment. Great value equals great commitment. So let's put this in modern day. Um, what's today, February 5th? 
So either yesterday or Friday, I can't remember which, the Tennessee Powerball <laughs> ticket was, winning ticket was issued. And someone won $704 million. If you found that ticket, what would you do? Would you hold on to your house and say, no, no, I got to protect everything over here. This is my treasure. Or you'd say, whoa, that treasure in comparison to my treasure, there's no comparison. Whatever I got to do to go get that ticket, hold on to that ticket, cash in that ticket. I'm not worried about all my little treasure. Why do most Christians struggle with commitment? They don't fully comprehend God's treasure. A baby, boy or girl, every single one of you, I see Chris here, Rachel with Claire. Every single one of you, when you see a baby, something happens to your heart. It's a treasure. He or she's a treasure. See, we struggle with commitment because we don't fully understand the value of the treasure, of the fine pearl. So what do you need to do to discover the value of God's kingdom? Watch this. What is the value of you actually having a purpose and promise in life? God says, I came to give you a future and a hope. I came to give you a plan. I came to give you, put it in this terminology, a greater purpose and a promise and even a power to be able to fulfill the purpose. See, our purpose, what we said in the very first week of this series is very simple. We reveal the Father. We reveal the goodness of the Father. We reveal the glory of the Father. We reveal the love of the Father. And see, the purpose is, not only do we reveal the Father, but the purpose is, is we receive his love. And once we receive his love, we become givers of his love and we become known by love. Now notice what happens when people don't have that purpose. They become known by broken love instead of healed love. They become known by the deeds of the flesh instead of the fruits of the spirit. Notice what happens when people only pursue pleasure. The pursuit of happiness in this way is oftentimes the most unhappiest of pursuits. So what flows from love? Everything glorious and good. What flows from love? Everything that's fulfilling in life. What flows from love? Everything that's rewarding. So what do you need to discover? Now watch this. We're going to enter into joy, the joy of God's kingdom. Jesus came so that, he says, here's a purpose statement of Jesus, so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be made full.
We don't know a lot scripturally about angels, but we know they serve God's purposes. I believe there are angels present in our midst. Bill said today, he just really sensed in the spirit that he saw that there was an angel on this stage just waiting to release joy. To release joy. You go, I don't know about that. Well, then go believe in hell. I mean, you know, I, I mean, why sugarcoat it, right? Like, He didn't say the angel was up here releasing something bad. It's consistent with God's word. Whenever Karen laughs in the front row, I know I've crossed the line. I'll repent to her later tonight. What brings you joy? Expressions of love. But watch this. Immediately, I would think, accomplishing something. That's the way I'm wired. What brings me joy? Oh, you know, I want to accomplish this. I want to accomplish that. And I've accomplished a lot of things in life. And one time I went to a counselor. This was like in 2010. And he said, Chris, Tell me what you're good at. I was speechless. I couldn't say anything. Because I was dealing with a father wound that always told me I was never good enough. And it didn't matter how good I was, I wasn't good enough. But see, accomplishments are fulfilling when they bless others. Accomplishments are empty when they only bless me. Accomplishments, accomplishments provide joy when they are celebrated together. No one ever throws a party for one. Like, I mean, you have to, when you achieve something, I mean, I'm the guy that at every sporting event, whether I like that type of sport or not, I'm not a big baseball fan, but I will watch the last game of the World Series just so that I can watch the celebrations at the end because it just touches my heart. It does. I cry every single time when I see some big grown man hug another big grown man, tears in his eyes, and they just, I mean, it's the greatest thing in the world, right? Our purpose is so much greater. I want you to come in here from a week full of victories. And we come together to celebrate what God's already done. We don't come together to try to survive another week. We are living from victory, not for victory.
The Bible says time and time again, shout for joy. God used shouts to bring down the most fortified city in the history of the world, Jericho. What brings you joy? Listen to what 3 John 1, 4 says. What brings you joy? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So why should you live for God? Yes, of course, for all the ways that you want God to bless you. But would you live for God so that your children will learn how to live from God from you and more will be caught than taught? That you're the giver way of joy. See, what brings you joy? Expressions of mercy. When I see someone offer mercy, I saw, you may have saw this online the other day. There was a man in a subway that was shivering cold and didn't have a shirt on. And another man in the subway took his shirt off and gave it to him. When I see mercy, it touches my heart. When I see grace that you do something for someone, even though they didn't deserve it, and you do it anyway, and it's an act of kindness and it's an act of love, it touches my heart. What brings you joy? Expressions of generosity. Like when you see people give to other people and you see people build the kingdom and you see people do something that they're going to invest in God's treasure, not just their own treasure. It it changes my heart. It blesses my heart. Expression, you know what, what brings me joy? Expressions of creativity. When you see people create Stories of God and songs of God and all different types of artistic expressions, you know, expressions of celebration bring me joy. How about this one? Expressions of rest. There's a Sabbath. One day a week. You're supposed to set aside a day, make it your favorite day of the week to rest and reflect upon him. To rest and be refueled. To rest and refocus. What are you doing to maximize joy in your life? Are you sowing seeds of joy? Now imagine this. I know you're probably not going to do this like, you know, to the letter of the law. I'm not asking you to, you know, be legalistic with this. But I'm asking, what if you made it a goal? That once a week, you are very intentional to do one act of kindness once a week. I mean, what would happen at the end of this year to your heart if there were 52 acts of kindness? What would happen to, and you go, oh, okay, you're going to ask me to do more than once a week. This is, this bar's high. (laughs) What would happen if you did one act of mercy a week? And mercy slash compassion. You see a need. Listen, sometimes we go, I can't meet their need. I, don't, I can't solve that. I, I know, I get it. It's a complex problem. But you can bless them in the moment. You can give them some hope. What happens if you produce one act of generosity each week? And it doesn't have to be like, it could be $5. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be anything. Amen. What would happen if this group of people, watch this, were known by our acts of love, not just our words of love. 
When we are known by words without action, we become hypocrites and no one wants to receive love from a hypocrite. What's stealing your joy? Sometimes we have substitute joys and we pursue that joy over the real joy and it steals our joy. Sometimes we settle for shallow expressions of joy instead of the deeper expressions of joy. Now watch this. What actions do you need to take today? You've learned the truth. The truth will absolutely do nothing in your life if you do nothing with the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No, it doesn't. Faith comes by hearing and the obeying of the hearing of the word of God. If you keep hearing the word of God and you don't obey the word of God, you develop a hard heart because you have an overexposure to the truth with an under response to it. And you become the grumpy, curmudgeon Christian sitting in a pew that no one likes. You've learned all the words to the song, but you never had the music. What actions do you need to take today? Then in his joy or her joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Second one, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What drives this person to action? Joy. Joy because they discovered great value. What do you need to let go of in order to pursue something greater? What's holding you back? What's going to give you a greater view? In Philippians 3, he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now watch this. You can't recognize treasure from a distance. You got to get up close. You can't recognize that a pearl is really a legitimate fine pearl from a distance. You got to get up close. That anyone that discovers a treasure, they try to authenticate the treasure. So the first step for you is just to take a step closer. See, if I took my contacts off, I could look at Paul right here and not have any ability to distinguish the features on his face. And that's why I need to get LASIK surgery, by the way. (laughs) But we want to look at Jesus not from a distance. We want to be so close to him that he embraces us, that we feel Jesus. What does it look like for you to buy the field? Listen, this person in both parables, they did something dramatic and decisive. 
in your life, only you can determine what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Only you can determine what he is, the Spirit of God is saying. This is the dramatic, decisive decision you need to make. What is your version of selling whatever you need to sell? And it's, this is metaphorical. It's not just literal, okay? What is your version of selling whatever you need to sell to gain everything? Now watch, this is so important. Please remember this. Remember this about this truth. If nothing changes, if you walk out of here today and nothing changes, nothing changes. It just reveals that you haven't fully comprehended the value yet. So what is the pearl for you? Every one of us has that. What's the pearl for you? What, what, what way do you need Jesus to reveal himself? What part of the kingdom do you need to see to say, that is why I exist. That's what I'm going to live for. Is there a sacrifice? Temporarily. They sold all they had. Is there a gain? <laughs> they never regretted selling all they had for that $704 million Powerball ticket, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I have my little kingdom here. I have my little treasure here. I count all things as loss. And then the scripture in Philippians calls it rubbish which is the, the Brits are great for saying very critical things politely. Yeah. <laughs> rubbish means bodily excrement. And they just dress it up, it's just rubbish. <laughs> Was the investment worth it? Did they second guess their investment? Not once. There was only satisfaction in the investment. See, it was a can't miss decision. It was a once in a lifetime decision. It was a impulsive decision, but it was a positive form of following the impulsion. It was an urgent decision. It was an overwhelmingly great decision. So let's bring it all into this. Will you trade your treasure for his treasure? That's the bottom line. All of us hold on to something different. You know, watch this. The more successful you are, the more you gain, the more you gain, the more afraid you are of losing what you gain. Therefore, it limits your faith to take the next risk. So let's close with this. Will you trade your treasure for his treasure? So what am I saying? Do something. That's what I said last week. Do something. I don't know what it is. I'm not proclaiming to know what that is. I'm trusting the spirit of God telling you what you need to do. But here's one way to say, stop trying to serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. 
You'll be devoted to one and not the other. So what is the Spirit of God telling you to do? Give God your unconditional yes. So, a response time looks different for different people. In just a moment, we're going to stand. When we stand, some of you, your response is right there in your heart. It's in your mind. Maybe you need to talk to someone next to you. You need to say, we need to make a decision about this. Let's talk about this this afternoon. Let's write something down. Let's be decisive. Some of you, you're like, I've got to go get the land. I've got to go get the treasure. And you're just, I got what if this altar represents that, I'm going to go place myself on the altar and say, here am I, send me. If you see the value this morning, you'll do something. Like this message doesn't just challenge you, it challenges me. What does it mean for Karen and I to give more? What does it mean for us to sacrifice more? What does it mean for us to believe more? Do you know that it is absolutely insane and stupid to believe that right here, this 120 people can change the 1.2 million people who are not in church this morning in this city and that we can change the history of this city and we can go from divided to united. We can bring, bring revival to this city. We can bring revival to this nation. We can reverse everything negative that's happening by being the light yes. and by being love. And if if we don't believe it, then we all can just go to hell in a handbag because no one else is going to believe it for us. It's our privilege in the face of the biggest problem to be the solution. It's our privilege in light of the worst darkness to be the light. It is our privilege in the face of acts of hatred to be the love. That's your value. Step into it. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.